Welcome to episode 102 of Blue Jays Happy Hour. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoughton. We're coming to you on Thursday after uh, another series loss for the Toronto Blue Jays. Before we get into some stuff that's vaguely positive, uh, let's go with a bit of a vibe check to acknowledge uh, the last couple of series and how perhaps they have not been great for your Toronto Blue Yeah, I knew the vibe check was coming, and the vibes, I'm sure everyone will agree, are not great. I mean, it is weird that they won uh, four series in a row there uh, not that long ago, uh, and already sort of any positivity out of that seems to have drained away. You know, the uh it's t- it's it's tough to allow you know a, a good team to score three and four runs in like in the last two games there uh and still lose uh you, the pitching has, has largely you know held up its end of the bargain a lot and the offense just you know i mean i saw a t- i saw a tweet that like uh looked at cluster luck uh you know the rankings there they're they're not as bad as boston has been in terms of uh not you know having hits come at opportune times but that has definitely felt like a thing uh of late um but they would also you know have more opportunities to get good cluster luck had they you know were they you know a better offensive team at this point yeah and you know i've talked about this before but i find the discourse around runners and scoring position stuff to be so tedious (laughs) yeah like it just there's no solution other than to hit better like it's you know it's especially for this team it's not like there's somebody's rotten on the bench who's just needs those at bats like that's not where the blue jays are at they kind of have to roll with the guys they've got and if anything i think what's going on now should open people's eyes to the idea that the vast majority of this stuff is fluctuation and variance and not i don't know character faults on the part of the blue jays like they got more left-handed this year. They got more contact-oriented guys this year. Like it is a different look of an offense, and they're having similar runners and scoring position problems. Which I guess maybe for some people would be like, "Oh, this is just something the Blue Jays can't figure out." But for me, it just tells me this can happen to kind of any group of players, even if they're pretty good with the bats. And even this Blue Jays team, which is not as exciting offensively potentially as some of the other ones in the past is, if you look at the overall numbers, a pretty strong offensive team. And, yeah, this can happen to anyone. And, you know, from a Blue Jays perspective, it sucks that it's happening to them. But it's just, like, I don't know. Like, what solutions do people want from this? We could just point to the problem very easily. Like, go to any box score. Look at the winning team. Look at the losing team. There's a pretty good chance the team that got hits with runners in scoring position was the team that won the game. But it's not really helping us learn anything about baseball. No, and, and you know, helping people learn as I think well, you know, a lot of people would look to coaches at this point, which is sort of uh, the last resort of a of, of a frustrated fan base who, you know, there there aren't many other things you can do. I mean, I think there are legitimate questions about their approach, uh, especially at you know the the all field stuff. And I looked at this earlier in the week. You know, um, you know, they're just not pulling the ball the way that they have. And I think I've seen some chatter about it on Twitter. You know, pull the ball in the air would be would be uh, a nice thing to see. It was nice to see Danny Jansen do it here on Thursday. But, uh, well, but, you're, you're not going to convince Danny Jansen to hit to all fields. He's got no, one gear, and he's going to roll with it. And it's not a bad gear. I mean, no, especially as soon as he comes off the injured list, uh, uh, which is a, an unfortunately all too frequent occurrence. Um but yeah, I mean, I think there might be something to that. And I know that, you know, I quoted Ross Atkins from opening day talking to Dan and Buck about, uh, you know, it works. And this is, you know, this, and, and you know, we've heard about that kind of stuff for a long time. But you do sort of feel the, uh, 
you you feel when it when it's lacking i guess um and uh, yeah you feel like that's the same thing like you say it's like i think people would be surprised in a lot of ways at the you know what what kind of an offensive team this has been like it's one of the better ones you know i don't think as good as it has been in the last couple of years but uh it's not as elite as it once was um which you know do, that doesn't help when vlad is you know not performing the way that he's capable of uh, which is, of course, another huge talking point and what's going on with his swing and why, you know, why, why all the expected metrics are not translating into uh, better results. And that's, you know, sometimes that's just luck, too, but but it's certainly something worth, you know, considering. Uh, and he definitely needs to get going. And I think things would feel a lot better pretty quickly if uh, if Vlad started to hit like, you know, he's capable of. Yeah, and we're definitely going to talk about Vlad on this episode, so we might as well kind of get into him now because sure. he's become, I don't, I don't know, it's weird to have him be such a lightning rod player. And I i get it. I get if you look at kind of the bottom line results, like it's less than one war, although his defensive metrics always come back not very well. And with the eye test, he definitely makes a lot of exciting plays often that's the way it goes where you notice the exciting plays and you miss kind of the mundane stuff he doesn't get to but i'm not totally convinced that his defensive metrics or his defense is as bad as the metrics suggest um so like the war number a little bit deflated whatever but you're talking about a 122 wrc plus right now that's kind of you know relatively par for the course for a first baseman you know pretty damn good overall if he was a center fielder you'd be very happy about it but it's, uh, you know, the expected stats to regular stats is an interesting point here because last year, not only did, you know, the numbers came down a ton from 2021, but also all these expected numbers came down too. Like his expected WOBA last year was 347, which is kind of like fine. Like it was decent. And uh, he slightly overperformed that, not to a huge extent. But this year, when you know it's actually been a better hitting environment around the league, his uh, his numbers have come down, which is pretty unexpected because he he is hitting the ball well. And I think when people criticize Vladdy, it's always not always, but it often comes back to this: he's pounding the ball into the dirt, and it doesn't matter how good his exit velocity is if it's always going to be on the ground. But this year, you know, his launch angle looks very similar to the, what it did in 2021. Like a lot of the way he's hitting the ball is much more reminiscent of 2021 than 2022. So not only would you expect a bounce back to some degree, you would. it is just kind of bizarre to see him go the other direction in terms of raw production because he, the, the objective truth is that he is hitting the ball, I think it's fair to say, better than he did last year. And the strikeouts and walks are almost identical. So it is, it is a, it's a bit of a puzzler right now. It is. It it very much is, and it's you know, and it's kind of part of this thing where you know it's you know, two and a half months. Even though that's a good chunk of season, is not necessarily representative of uh, of you know true talent. It, it takes a long time for stuff to sort of materialize and uh, and and really be meaningful. Um, and you know, just based on the way that he's hitting the ball, you would absolutely expect that him to, that, you know, if he keeps doing what he's doing, the results will come, but it is, it's really frustrating to watch this. It's right. You know, we, we kind of went through this last year with Bo and now nobody, you know, nobody's too worried about him. I don't know if, uh, how many more weeks of not, you know, setting the world on fire it'll take before those questions start coming up again. Cause that just seems like the inevitable thing that always, you know, that will always happen. Um, especially with these two guys who were looked to as franchise cornerstones. And that's what Vlad is looked to as and was sold as, and you know, rightly so. Um, 
but yeah, it, it's it, it's tough to it's tough to have this happen every year, especially when it, when it does feel like you know there's so much of an element of luck in it. It's like, well, why why can't this team make itself some better luck? Yeah, it's funny with Vlad, and I don't really want to engage too much with kind of, you know, Twitter strawman when I can avoid it, but I also can't help what I see sometimes. And there is, I don't know, this notion out there that like suddenly 2021 is the fluke and everything else is what's real. And so we need to totally kind of forget 2021 happened and live in this reality where Vladdy is like a good player, but not a great player. And, you know, Bo is clearly your face of your franchise and all that jazz. And I would really push back on that for a couple of reasons. One, uh, 2021 did happen. Uh, I remember it. (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty fun at times. Um, There's definitely some ballpark stuff involved in what he did. Like that can't be denied. I don't think I see him as like a 50 home run guy going forward. Uh, It wouldn't shock me if that 48 is his career high. Uh, again, I think it's way too early to say that we're talking about a guy who's just 24 years old and people find power later in their career sometimes, but it's not only is there the fact where he's hitting the ball like he did in 2021, like the stuff that happened before 2021, I don't know if you can like throw it out, throw it out, but I'm, I'm much more happy to dismiss that because that was you know, before he did a lot of work on himself, just physically before he seemed to kind of figure out what he was capable of at the big league level like those seasons 2019 and 2020 don't mean very much to me so when i'm looking at his numbers i see okay one incredible year followed by one like good year that was clearly a step back followed by another year where he looks a lot like the incredible year in many ways but uh has had weird luck and you know the the approach of the plate stuff is legitimate the way that that has come off since 2021 it's declined but I don't know. I think that it's easy for people to perceive like, oh, there are five seasons and one of them is good. And it's like, to me, there's kind of two and a half seasons that I care about. And one of them is really good. And one of them isn't as bad as people think. And one of them is kind of weird. Like, it's weird to say that we don't have a total beat on where Vladdy is, but he is still young enough. And it hasn't been that long since he seemed to find himself at this level such that I don't know. Like, if you tell me, like, what is Vladdy's w- career WRC plus? Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I, my instinct is something in the, you know, the 140s, 150s, right? Like, I think he can net out as that for a longer term. But it is it is odd to be like, hey, this franchise-type player that you've heard about since he was 16 years old and he's already had one MVP caliber season, I don't know what he is, but I, that's kind of how I feel. And I, I think that burying him now just seems odd to me yeah i completely agree with with all of that um i you know i it it doesn't help his case and viewing him i think especially for a lot of fans uh when there's a lot of young superstars around the league who don't have to have you know their first two iffy seasons explained away or you know the other two and a half um but also you bring up his minor league record like like uh like it, it obviously not at the big league level, but this is a guy who's been a special talent for a very long time, and it is it it has shown itself on the uh, the stat page, and it showed himself showed itself, um, you know, in those years in like the age he was for the level, like he was just doing things that players don't do, and you can still see all of that. I mean, you look at the exit velocities, like he's he is just absolutely elite there, and strikeouts and walks are good. 
there's so much good there. It, the the, expe- the expectations are just are very high, and all, but also, you know, yeah, having having less than than one win above replacement in the over the course of like two and a half months of over more than a third of a season uh, is is not what you expect, even in a position where you know that the defensive uh, uh, adjustment, the positional adjustment, is going to uh knock some of it down so i like yeah you know i i, I don't I, I don't fault fans for you know criticizing and being like what the hell is going on there but yeah i absolutely agree but like uh, the 2021 is the good outlier and he's just kind of not anything like that and that won't happen again i think that yeah i mean this year's numbers may not bear it out because you know he's just there's there's just not been enough home runs basically so soon so he, it's going to be very hard for him to hit you know in the the upper 30s or higher like that by the end of the season but um but yeah i think he's a really good hitter i don't know yeah i think age matters here a little bit too like if he had yeah. broken into the big leagues at 23 and then he'd had his big season at 25 and now he was in his age 27 season I would be much more like, I know exactly what's going to happen here. And that was that weird outlier season, but there's still components of his game that are developing. And that sounds crazy because he's got, you know, close to 2,500 plate appearances at the big league level. But that's the reality is that there's still possibilities for growth with him. And, you know, I'm just looking at his fan graphs page right now. Like projection systems don't know what to do with them. Like he's got a WRC plus at 135 for zips for the rest of the year. That's the low. And the high one is the bat X, which is uh, the bat one, but a little bit more based on stack ass data is my understanding. That's got him as high as 163, which is basically what he did in 2021. So it's like, if you're confused, you're in good company because no (laughs) one really knows what it's going to be. But what I would say to people is that, it's even though it might feel like you've watched, you've been to some degree disappointed for a year and a half. That does not mean that this player is on a negative trajectory or that this player cannot be a franchise cornerstone type of player. And he may well not be like that is within the range of outcomes is that he's just a good player and he has this one crazy year. And I, I don't think that's impossible, but I don't think that just because what we've seen over the last 18 months has happened, that that's, the most likely scenario and it just seems to me like a lot of fans are treating it as if yeah like okay you know that happened back then but this is the new reality and i just wouldn't be so sure yeah i think that's right and and so you know lots of lots of guys go through stuff like this and it does i think probably take time uh in a player's career to maybe know best how to get themselves out of stuff like that though also you know there it, it does kind of happen a bit and, and it's happened with Bo as well which does, it's a thing with young players though I do at one point remember I don't know when this was but but like looking up Mike Trout's like like month by month weighted runs created plus and being like oh he's been below average like <laughs> literally never oh uh, yeah like, you know I mean comparing anybody to Mike Trout is uh you know oh yeah there uh, was a foolish, piece but... about his start and I was like oh well the worst he's ever been over a period like this and I don't know exactly when I read this I think it was at some point in May but it's like the worst he's ever been kind of six months into a year is like a 132 WRC plus <laughs> like over a period this length not even like right. over a season start to begin so like yeah some guys are freaks and you know like, is Vladdy a Hall of Famer? Right now, that's not the track that he's on. But if he isn't a Hall of Famer, that sure as hell doesn't make him a disappointment. Right. Absolutely. One guy who the, uh, I don't know, I think the discussion is maybe a little bit more muted than maybe it should be. 
around, but a little bit more positive is Jose Barrios, who delivered a big start against the Orioles. His ERA is down to 328 right now, which is, uh, you know, we're talking about an 85 inning sample. That's for context, like that's a little bit more than what he did for the Blue Jays after coming over in 2021. So kind of, I mean, we know how long the season's been. I'm just saying it's not nothing. He's got 328 ERA. He's got a 376 FIP. If you look at his game logs, he really hasn't had a bad start since, I don't know, the the first, his start on May 1st was a pretty nasty one, five runs in 5.1 innings. But since then, he's given up more than two runs only once. And in that game, he gave them 6.2 innings. So that was like, you know, quote unquote, a quality start. There are some things here you can point to, like, you know, the expected ERA isn't, isn't as good as the uh, regular ERA. The strikeouts aren't as high as they've been at his peak. But are you like, where are you coming to in terms of the level of trust in Barrios and, you know, the 2022 thing being behind him or him being, you know, because him being someone that they can really lean on going forward? Because, you know, his numbers are actually largely better than Chris Bassett's right now. And I know that that's because Bassett, we're catching Bassett at exactly the wrong time with that one disastrous start. But I feel like he's a, a little bit of an underappreciated guy right now. No, I think that's I think that's fair. I think that yeah, I, I, it, it's coming along. The trust is coming along. There's still you know, there's pretty big gulf to sort of bridge there. I think that because of what happened last year. But I like the fact that he's, you know, he's just not that the four seamer that was getting clobbered. Uh, he's you know continuing to you know a year over year trend, and this is you know this is the lowest he's ever thrown it, like about twenty percent, about twenty one percent of the time. Uh, which had been 40 going back to like 2016, though that might be a tiny sample. Um, yeah, it's uh, uh, that that seems smart. Don't throw the pitch that gets that gets you know clobbered, but also you know, th- yeah, the location has felt better. You know, just the just just the sense of things not slipping away on him. I know you know he's always going to have some hard contact against him, I think, but but largely that's been that's been pretty good this year, too. And, and uh, I, I, I worry about the lack of strikeouts, as you point out. Um, but, you know, somebody's going to have to start a playoff game for this team if they even get there, right? So so I guess you're giving them the ball at this point. Yeah, it, it is interesting because a few of the things that have been better about him this year have been things that we haven't seen before as much. Like, he's actually getting ground balls at an above-average clip, which has not traditionally been his thing. I think that's a pretty positive development for him just because, you know, when balls go in the air against him, good things haven't always happened. Like, he has mm-hmm. had that hard contact problem. So, if he's leaning on the sinker or he's really locating the slurve and that's giving him the ability to get ground balls, you know, that's a positive. Sometimes it's easy to overrate uh, ground ball rate. But with him, I think it's valuable. And then, like you said, like, the contact is just not as hard as it's traditionally been. Like, his hard hit rate is in the 87th percentile right now. Mm-hmm. That's something I would never associate with him like even the <laughs> the good version of him right like yeah. 2021 he's 53rd percentile for that like he he has a couple years where he's managed contact fairly well but in you know in the years leading up to the blue jays acquiring him that has not been his calling card by any means and that you know we talked about this with manoa for so long right where we had to we kept waiting and waiting and waiting to be like this is good this is good this is good but i'm not 100 percent sure if he can maintain it last year when the strikeouts weren't there, it's a little bit of a similar situation. Obviously, we mm-hmm. know 
the end of that Manoa story. And it, it took a year for that all to catch up to him. And there's lots of other things at play with Manoa right now. But it, if you just showed me some of the surface level numbers, like, you know, the 326 or 328 ERA or a FIP under four, I would kind of sign off on this and I'd say, okay, 2022 is over. That was some weird shit. And uh, he's back to being that guy who's just wildly consistent year after year after year with the strikeout situation and uh, him relying more on soft contact. It's a little bit harder to just do that full sign off. But I, I even think that my confidence level is probably higher than a lot of people's right now because I just don't think there's a lot of buzz surrounding how he's doing. And I think he deserves some credit. Yeah, I, I think he does deserve credit. I, like I say, still, still, uh, still jury out for me a little bit there, um, because it is kind of looking a bit different as you as you're pointing out with the contact stuff, I suppose, and the lack of strikeouts as you mentioned, like that. The, uh, but you know, happy to keep rolling with it. Happy to be uh, to to continue to have that you know bridge being built uh, back to where I could feel confident in him. People don't like to get burned again. After they've been burned once, Very it true. takes uh, takes a long time sometimes to let people back into your heart, and that's okay. Maybe by September we'll have a, collectively have a different thought about Jose Barrios, but it is well, just worth highlighting. Oh, sorry, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just gonna say I think there, well, there's there's a guy who I think is very quickly becoming uh, back into uh, Jays fans' hearts that we will perhaps talk about, and that's Nate Pearson. Oh, I thought I thought you were going to mention Trevor Richards. Nate Pearson oh, that, is uh, that's a, yeah. I don't I don't have I don't know why that's working, but yeah, that is coming into people's eyes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Little note on Nate Pearson. He has been absolutely awesome, and it is funny because there's ways in which this is just no surprise whatsoever. Like kind of right. of, of <laughs> yeah. course he can do this, right? Like of course he can throw a hundred miles an hour, and we you know we we read all the scouting reports before about he had the slider and he had the curveball. Um, you know, and he doesn't really do the changeup anymore, and that's fine. You don't need four pitches to be a reliever. It is interesting, you know, now he's he's set a career high in innings at this point, 22 innings. That's not exactly the career high you would have hoped that he would uh, be getting, you know, when yeah. he's approaching his 27th birthday. It's not what the Blue... Like, this is not the scenario the Blue Jays were hoping for, but as sort of a... I don't know, like a consolation prize. The fact this guy has arrived to be, you know, a guy this bullpen needs, to be frank, uh, mm -hmm. is pretty promising. And the thing in terms of just on field, other than the fact that, you know, he's just showing up and he's healthy and he looks good, is that curveball for me. Because in his previous stints, even whether it was relief or as a starter in the big leagues, like it really seemed like the fastball slider were the only pitches that were working and left-handed hitters just, you know, as long as they could catch up to the velocity, which the reality is a lot of big league hitters are capable of doing that at this point. Not that 100 miles an hour isn't impressive, but guys are a little bit more attuned to it. He didn't necessarily have that weapon to get those guys out. And I worried if he was going to become a leverage guy, which his performance was going to start to dictate. And that's what's happened, that the... uh that the issue might be those big spots against left-handed hitters, but the curveball has been uh, has really come along, and it's yeah. When Nate Pearson comes into the game, the Blue Jays have to feel pretty good about what's going to happen next. I know there's been a couple home runs, but it's pretty hard to nitpick what's happened. No, absolutely, it's uh, it's really impressive stuff, and, and you're you're right on the money when you say you know it's a guy that they need back there right now. I mean, as people like stretch him out to be a fifth starter. It's like, uh, how is that going to happen? 
you're going to rob from your bullpen. You're going to take all this time. And, you know, there's no faith that you can hold up. Anyway, again, I don't want to go into the Twitter straw man world. I do want <laughs> I mean, to... hey, I, I would I would say next you know, next spring. Oh, think about it. Next spring, you can think about it. But yeah. it's we're too far midstream here. I think so. Um, but the starter situation, uh, it's, uh, you know, not having Alec Manoa could be construed as an issue. I mean, not having the 2023 version of Alec Manoa could be construed as a positive. But... Mm-hmm. They are in this place right now where they've got kind of the fat nine-man bullpen and the four-man rotation. And, you know, if anything, the Blue Jays have been quasi-traditional in terms of the way they deploy their pitchers. Like, I think if you looked around the game over the last couple of years, teams have gotten by with sort of four starters and figuring the bullpen out and shuffling guys up and down and doing bulk stuff. And all that jazz probably more than the Blue Jays have. So it it is kind of shocking in a sense. But like, oh, they really don't have a starter right now. And that's a huge issue. I think it can be less of an issue in theory. Um, In practice, you know, Mitch White has got to pitch quite a few innings. Thomas Hatch has got to pitch quite a few innings. You know, Bowden Francis has looked pretty good. But uh, that's, you know, someone you can't necessarily count on just yet. Do you see a scenario where, you know, you pull that Trevor Richards type early trade and try and get a stopgap guy? Uh, I know I did something on Sportsnet on just the type of guys I could get, and they were like the least sexy guys imaginable. But just thinking about people <laughs> who could fill a role for like a month and a half. Um, or is there a Trevor Richards like mini stretch out possibility which is something people have fantasized on a little bit over the last few weeks like where do you see this going yeah uh I, it doesn't it doesn't feel like a deal kind of situation for me maybe that's you know that that's obviously just guessing but maybe and maybe it's just based on you know how they've sort of deployed guys so far but you know when you have a white and a, a hatch and a, a a francis and a trevor richards now and a pearson like those are those are guys who you know can do multiple innings like not necessarily work like a starter's workload but some some of them can get up you know beyond two innings and and uh i think that you can you know and we i think we kind of think about you know for much of the year so far it has been sort of one inning guys uh that the bullpen has mostly been comprised of so i think that having you know those guys around who you know it may not be quality innings uh, and that is, of course, an issue. Um, but I, I think they can they can sort of scrape together uh, enough innings to cover games and still have you know um, guys available in the bullpen when when that'll be you know when they'll be necessary without uh, without screwing around too much and use off days and and and, and kind of work their way through it that way. I think that 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 for now that's probably the thing. I don't you know. Is the, like what is the appetite there to trade for another starter? Like you said, the, the not not real sexy names anyway. But uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I I I would prefer to see. Well, maybe not prefer. I mean, obviously, I, I you know go trade for a good starter. I'm not saying don't do that. But um, I I think that that they could get along capably uh, as long as Richards and, and Pearson keep pitching the way that they do. You know, trying to get some length out of them and and filling in with the other guys. Yeah, I mean, I, when I looked into the guys you can get, again, you you need to get optionable guys or guys that you're kind of comfortable waving when Manoa comes back. Mm-hmm. And those guys can be tricky because, like, if a team is good, no good team wants to really give up starting depth, and a team is no good, 
then getting someone that has you know as options and is controllable is sometimes it's hard to pry those guys it's just a very difficult thing to thread and so yeah i like you said i think the most likely scenarios they sort of figure out if you think of you know the kind of traditional bullpen and i'm not saying it'd be as rigid as this but you know think back only you know five years or whatever the traditional bullpen is seven guys so if you have a nine man bullpen and then sort of you throw two of those bulk guys at each of these missing starts and they're giving you two th- two innings or maybe three innings each potentially in the best case scenario like you're kind of getting that start out of those guys and then mm-hmm. the rest of the bullpen sort of working as normal i know it's not quite as simple as that but just in terms of conceptualizing it and you know not being quote you know panicked by the idea of missing a starter for lack of a better term i will say like trevor richards was a pretty passable starter for a couple of years mm-hmm. not crazy long ago like we're talking about 2018 2019 i don't think that means that you know he's ready to become the fifth starter they need but I can envision a world where they, you know, they kind of bring them along and maybe see if you can get four innings out of them one day. See if you can get, you know, three and a third or something like that. I I don't know if it's going to be so dramatic where it's like Trevor Richards is now a starter, but I think he's probably the best candidate to push for that. Maybe Francis, if he looks really good. Mitch White, uh, you know, he's Mitch White. That was a trade that they made. Um, yeah, sure was. <laughs> probably not going to go down in uh, the history books as one of the better things the Blue Jays have done. Uh, and it, it is kind of, you know, that is a bit of a cautionary tale, right? Because if you want to solve this problem externally and you're like, I'm going to get a swingman type guy who can be a starter and then he can fall back into a bullpen role or get optioned or something like that that's one of the pretty plausible outcomes is you get a guy who's like living close enough to the edge that he just turns into a lemon, which is where we're sort of at with Mitch White. Like he, you know, he wasn't, he didn't have many great qualities as a pitcher. Like he was just sort of just good enough at everything and living without much of a margin for error. And that seems to have eroded. And I'm not saying, you know, they might well get a couple of decent innings out of Mitch White, but I just do think the Mitch White story tells you that just getting someone who is like that swingman starter on paper is not guaranteed to be the solution to your issues by any means. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, no, I think the idea of pushing Richards is, is definitely an interesting one. Also kind of, you know, a guy unlike Pearson who you're not like, I mean, he's been effective for them. Obviously, like it's not like it would be nothing to to lose him. But I mean, everybody had him DFA'd in their in their minds, you know, for most of the last year and a half. I think myself included. Um, so he's got like maybe you don't care as much as if like if you break him, uh, and you know, not a superpower arm or anything uh, in terms of uh, worrying about that. So and 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 has and has obviously, like you say, uh, shown himself able to handle that kind of a workload uh, at least a little bit. Um, so yeah, I mean, if he's going, if he goes through the order once uh, and it's going real well, I I don't have a problem at all with them trying to push it and and see where that goes and if that ends up with him, you know, falling back into more of a two inning guy role or or less even or if it ends up you know if it ends up kind of working you know you you know all, you're better off for it so um, obviously you know those innings are 
you know, it, it, you'll you'll put him offline for four days if you're if you're going to use him like that. But and and that at this point, sadly, is kind of uh, a little scary because he's been so effective for you and he has kind of moved up the pecking order. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think that that would, would uh, uh, that's just a move that's sort of uh, right there and that's a layup to make. And the reality is that what you were working with before was what Manoa was giving you. You know, mm-hmm. Next time you see Manoa, you feel good that he's going to give you more than that. And, you know, we don't know how long it's going to be till we see him. You know, he's doing his work in Florida and all that jazz. But um, the, I don't know, it's just, it's not that high a bar. We've talked about many times how, like, no teams really have a fifth starter uh, that's any good. That's not, not literal. Some teams do manage to cobble together five good starts. It just doesn't really happen. And what you're replacing that work from Manoa is work that was really hurting your team. So what you're aspiring to is, uh, yeah, I mean, it's competency. And that, you know, that doesn't sound very exciting, but that's kind of what they're hoping to get. And that would be an upgrade that can help the team. Now, do they have the guys to achieve competency but beyond Richards? Like, I, you know, I'm, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm not a Hatch guy at this point. Um, no, I'm, not, I'm not a Mitch White guy. So there may be moments where competency is beyond their reach. And that is, uh, it's a disheartening thought when the bar is low and you slide beneath it. We may still have moments with that, but it's not necessarily like an all hands on deck type of panic. We don't have a starter, therefore we're doomed. You know, it, it's a situation, like I said, a lot of teams have kind of managed and uh, finessed their way through in the last few years. And the Blue Jays just haven't generally been that team, but that doesn't mean that they can't be that team. Um, the Yeah, the recipe's there. They don't necessarily have the perfect ingredients, but they've got, they've got some ingredients, which is better than none. <laughs> I mean, depends on the recipe, I guess. But yes, generally, some is better than none. So... We have not in recent times had kind of a, a pet prospect, which I think is unfortunate because some of our mm. best early content was very Manoa prospect heavy. And, you know, I, I blame the Blue Jays development, generally speaking. Uh, you know, they could have provided us with an easy candidate and they haven't really done that outside of Tiedemann, which has not been the smoothest run in 2023. But I do want to uh, maybe... I don't know what how the right way to put this is uh, re-nominate, I guess, a player that we've <laughs> nominated before. And that is Mr. Aurelvis Martinez, who mm. has been absolutely absurd recently. Um, he is a player who's repeating his level, and he's in double A. So this is not a situation where we're going to be breath of breathlessly watching everything he does and hoping that he can help the big league team immediately. But at the same time, he got off to a dreadful start to the season and it really looked like it was, Oh man, here's the guy with big loud tools who can hit home runs that go forever. And there's tons of swing and miss in his game, but we're going to hope he irons it out as he gets older and more mature and more experienced. And that did not seem to be happening. Uh, in his second go at double A at the beginning of the year, he was had a brutal April. But since then, he has hit, as of recording, 320, 431, 738 for a 201 WRC+. Plus. He now has 16 home runs in 51 games. 
he is a guy who is, uh, you know, upper minors, absolutely destroying baseballs. And notably, since this May 1st, or May, did I say May 1st? I meant May 10th. It's an arbitrary cutoff, people. It's not uh, <laughs> May 1st. If it was May 1st, now would, this would be very real. But now it's a little arbitrary. <laughs> right. It's May 10th. Um, he has been absolutely destroying the baseball and with a 17.9% strikeout rate during that time, which is a, you know, not a world beating number for a player in the minor leagues necessarily, but for him, that's outstanding because he has often had tons of problems with strikeouts and moreover, a 14.6% walk rate in that time. So again, you know, we're talking about 123 plate appearances here. But it seems like there are times when young guys really just find something and, you know, we, we maybe, maybe could be in the middle of that moment with uh, Relvis Martinez. Yeah, it certainly feels like it's clicked a bit. I mean, this is, I'm saying this having not really watched plate appearances a ton. You know, you, you, you can watch, you can tune into to New Hampshire, but I must admit not not uh, breathlessly doing that as much as maybe I should. Um you know, you worry a little bit about the the fact that it is his repeat year. Like he, you know, he had a dreadful start, but he also had a pretty terrible year last year. Um, and uh, I don't think know, it was te- Jay- terrible last year, considering he was twenty at Double A and he hit thirty bombs. Like he wasn't terrible. It was, there okay, was some that, stuff. It, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, not as good as expected for sure. Definitely. I mean, the two. I'm, look, I'm looking at it now. Two eighty six on base. Two hundred three. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's some bad stuff guys, in yeah. there. <laughs> I mean, the stuff is inclusive of, of good and bad. But uh, yeah, right. it was not a disaster. But, it, you know, whenever you're watching prospects, you want to see that continued next step, next step, next step ascension. It definitely wasn't that. Totally. And, and, and you know, the Jays kind of paid for their decision not to send him to high A because that was, you know, that was sort of where he, he finished off in, uh, in the previous season and had... Uh, uh, kind of struggled out of the gate there, and then really looked to to take off and looked like he had, had figured things out very quickly. And I think that you know what they'd seen in spring training, you know, when he was in, with the big league club uh, in camp and uh, in in twenty twenty one, and uh, maybe even last. No, I don't think that was last year. That was twenty one uh, when he when he really opened a lot of eyes. I think um, was uh, you know was was probably reason to I think at the alt side he did really well as well. Uh, but and that was a reason to you know be aggressive with the promotion and they kind of paid for that. But he's so he's kind of just back to where he probably would be uh, at this point anyway. Um, which uh, which yeah is 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 looking real good. Like I could kind of use that fact to uh, to elide the the concerns you have when you see a guy repeating a level and having the you know big success. And I think the age factor that you bring up, you know, he's still young. Yeah, he's uh, 21. I mean, that's the biggest thing, right? If he was repeating double A and he was 24, then yeah. it would be like, okay, this guy, I've, you know, I know Kevin Biggio had maybe that kind of later double A breakout and that turned into something. But generally speaking, that's, you know, that's not something you want. But you're looking, you know, from an age to level perspective, 21 at double A is still perfectly good. Yeah, absolutely. He's putting himself back in the conversation. It was not long ago. It was only a couple, few weeks ago. Uh, you know, just thinking about what to do with Matt Chapman and looking forward to things because, you know, God knows nobody wants to look too hard at what's going on with the Blue Jays right now. Uh, wondering, you know, thinking that the the answer at third base has to be outside the organization because, you know, Jordan Groshans is gone. Asin Barger's not hitting well and he's, I think, hurt now at this at this point or he was and has missed a bunch of time and just hasn't been the same guy as yet. 
Uh, and Martinez was looking like a, a disaster again. And, and he's, you know, I, I, I don't think that a team with, you know, championship aspirations as the Blue Jays will and should have next year uh, is going to give the keys to that position every day to uh, to a guy who has now had like one good month in double A. But uh, uh, hey, like it, one it, month it, it and feels five like, days, okay? Like, right. Wow. Sorry. <laughs> but no, it, it feels like, uh, you know, uh, it, it's good to have that there anyway and to have him continue to, uh, to develop. And, um, you know, hopefully it just doesn't take as long for him to figure out double or triple A once he eventually gets moved to Buffalo. Yeah. I think the type of stretch he's having is, is enough that it's like, it's not just good, right? Like if he was having a, I don't know, a one thirty WRC plus type of month in a few days, like it'd be like, okay, this is cool. It's so good that you really have to take note of it. But again, it's very much, you have to wait and see with guys who strike out a lot and that will be a number to watch with him because if he, Man, if he can make contact with the ball, he makes contact with the ball. Like we've seen in spring training, some of the home runs he's capable of hitting. Uh, he can be very impressive. Uh, you know, like you said, it, it's hard to imagine them just tr- giving him the job next season uh, unless, you know, he gets a quick promotion to AAA and finishes strong there and does an amazing spring training. Like there's just a lot of things that would have to happen for that to be a realistic scenario. But I'm putting him on the radar as a like a potential uh you know, Blue Jays happy hour prospect crush because we 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 kind of passed over him when we had the chance before. Mm-hmm. Like there was the hype was there, and we were like, eh, I don't know. And so <laughs> if we do that again, and then he winds up being really good, we'll look quite silly. So I, I am just kind of putting him out there to give ourselves the possibility of uh, you know looking better for the future. But um, but maybe it's it's too early. I think it is too early to sort of firmly anoint him. But it's that's just a note. For us to think about. I think that's fair. I had a, a big picture philosophical question, which I think it's been a while since I've asked a big philosophical question. And based on the time we have left, which is very little, and it's arbitrary because we could just keep going for an extended period of time. But, you know, the arbitrary time that we sort of think about, I believe I'm going to leave it to next week. And that will create what I believe will be sort of a massive wave of suspense and demand <laughs> that is going to sort of fundamentally change uh how many people are interested in, in listening to this podcast because i think people will will hear that there's this big philosophical question coming next week and then they'll begin to tell their friends who are not yet listeners to the podcast and then uh we'll just be looking at a whole different kind of listenership next week which will be an exciting thing to tackle does that work for you i can't wait i can't wait yeah i'm excited already okay we'll leave it there then episode 102 of blue days happy hour thanks everyone for tuning in we appreciate when people leave reviews give us ratings all that kind of jazz that is uh helpful for the growth of the podcast and we will come to you next week with a deep philosophical discussion among other things